everybody. Uh, thank you for another segment uh, that we're doing here on Bait for the Natural and Health Food Industry. And I'm very proud to have as a special guest the former interim CFO of Love Good Fats. That's going to share his insights and his experiences for uh, for this industry. Uh, Eugene, Eugene Dynstein, a personal friend of mine as well. I've known Eugene for a very long time. And also former CFO of Loblaws. Uh, he's definitely been through a lot. He knows the industry. And welcome to welcome to the 15-minute show. Thanks, uh, Bruce, and greetings to all your listeners. Thanks, Eugene. So what can you tell us? Let's talk about the natural food industry. And what can you tell us about some of the big learnings you had at Love Good Fats? And just give us some insights on from, from your perspective, because you, you were the interim CFO there. From the financials perspective, can you share with the audience uh, some of the things that came out of that? Well, certainly, Bruce. Uh, it's kind of an interesting transition because I had been a CFO for some fairly significant companies and had large staffs and then migrating, if you will, into this particular challenge. And the startup is quite an interesting environment. It's a lot of roll up the sleeves, multitasking, um, but is even more a uh, requirement, if you will, or a need to rely on good, insightful financial reporting. So uh, whereas in the past I might have had large teams and even some of the specialty areas, the operations, merchandising would have some financial acumen within that, all the financial acumen really rests with the CFO and, and uh, to an extent his support staff or his or her support staff. So quite, quite frankly, the uh, greatest insight from a um, uh, startup was how important getting insight into what's driving profitability fairly early on and how that can help direct, um, you know, the, uh, the founder and the rest of the executive team. So dissecting customer profitability, which customers were making money in and which customers were not making money in, uh, which types of items were making money and which items were not making money are all critical ingredients to provide some direction to the executive group to make the right decisions going forward. Can you give us some examples? Like, what, 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 like how did it affect the decision? Give us some examples. Where was the decision-making altered? Or where, where were some unique circumstances? Well, I think what uh, in one particular example, um, the sales group came forward with a, a very attractive deal for a retailer in the United States and um, upon further analysis, uh, taking a look at some of the numbers that were coming through, it kind of gave us a different perspective. So whereas the sales number looked good, the customer required us to have the product delivered direct to store rather than to a central distribution area. So as you can imagine, uh, distributing to individual stores would increase significantly the freight cost to get the product to customers. And once you properly allocated the costs of that freight, to the particular customer segment, matching it up against the margin, you began to realize that there was almost no money in the account. As attractive as the sales were, the costs were absorbing any margin. So what that led to uh, was a, a question as to whether we want to continue with the customer, whether the customer is prepared to entertain a different distribution um, vehicle, or whether uh, you know additional charges would have to be levied. But um, probably most importantly, required then management through the sales department to direct them to not sign deals with customers until we understood fully the economics right to the bottom line 
of what that customer is going to bring to the organization. So the, the top line may be exciting. You get excited, you have a top line, but you gotta look, you gotta look, you gotta look way beyond the top line and look what the bottom line profitability is of the contribution margin, the contribution that's associated to it. Like that's absolutely. Left. I mean, you get these large retailers uh, stretched across the United States, and as a startup in Canada, nothing's more exciting than being able to land that account. Of course, but there's no point in landing that account in fact if it's going to not deliver some profitability to the bottom line. Yeah. And you got to stick to your guns, I guess. At the end of the day, tell the client you got to be prepared to. At the end of the day, you got to be prepared either if they don't come on site to walk away. Is that the ultimate lesson? Uh, absolutely, the specific accounts. But more importantly, I think you have to redirect the sales folks to make sure they understand the economics of the business. And so they don't get led down a garden path of, of uh, working to secure a sale, but being presented with economics that don't make any sense. I got it. I got it. I got it. Okay, cool, cool. Okay, now we're, we've been in the... Also, let's talk about the pandemic because now we're coming, we've had the pandemic, we're coming, I mean, we're coming out of the pandemic, whether we're coming out or not, we're coming out of the pandemic. Okay, I think- So we've been, so we've been told by the government, we're out of it. We're out of it. Masks are off soon, Monday, I think. Yeah. Masks are off. So either way, we're, we're for not, we still are. Yeah. Everybody's had enough. I've had enough. <laughs> okay. So uh, we, all, we all have, Bruce, and getting back to the office and getting to normal life, I think it'd be well welcomed by many people. 100%. So talk about the lessons learned there. You're in the pandemic. You went through. What happened during the pandemic? And what what's next? Because everything had to be. What's your experiences again with, through the pandemic? And how are things changing? What's your insights on how are things are going to change going forward? Well, I think the pandemic uh, had a lot of uh, opportunities if one uh, if organizations attempted to grab it. And, and I think that uh, the primary one, in my opinion, was uh, our, we had a great sales growth going into it. The sales flattened. Um, and so we took that opportunity to really dive into our financials where, where cash was being generated, where cash was being consumed. We did have to go through some downsizing and try and establish a level that uh, was cash flow uh, neutral, if not slightly cash flow positive. Uh, so that was all great learning as to where was the value added from the individual staff members, uh, where value added was from the customers, how we can engage suppliers to help us reduce costs uh, to sustain us through this particular period. And most importantly for a startup, it is all about cash and making sure we've got sufficient cash available to us to get us through this particular period. And we were fortunate to have a partner in one of the government uh, lending organizations to help sustain the cash through this period. And as a consequence, uh, the company is well positioned to emerge out of it, uh, albeit the cash resources aren't as strong as going into it, but there are cash resources. And with the combination of a focus on costs, focus on staff effectiveness, um, focus on cash, now we're well positioned to make some investments in marketing, uh, to promote the brand, um, start to uh, grow the sales force consistent with the now returning sales from our customers. Uh, we've tightened both the manufacturing and the distribution side of it through this process. So the economics of that will now deliver um, a good contribution to the bottom line. So. I think in essence, Bruce, I think it was a great sort of cleansing period, I think with uh, with uh, government agencies supporting the organization and a real focus on on um, 
fine-tuning our cost side of it, which, you know, rapidly growing companies, sometimes you kind of put that to the side. You know, I think the old adage is sales solves all problems, and then you're rapidly growing company, that generally is what occurs. But when you start to, to level off the sales, it exposes uh, weaknesses in the business. So now um, there's a much more stronger business coming out of it. And with the growth in sales, it should drop it to the bottom line. Was there a move from the culture? Because when a startup, as businesses start to grow, my experience is businesses start to grow, there is a focus on top line. And then you, you got to shift the culture a bit from a, the finance culture. Am I correct? You got to shift the finance culture and start to drill down on the numbers. Like, you know, probably a good observation, Bruce. Uh, certainly, um, when I had arrived, the pandemic had yet to set in, so the sales curve was still fairly attractive. Okay. And um, it's almost like finance is trying to keep up with the business. Um, you know, finance, uh, uh, the accounting side of it tends to be driven by transactions. As it grows, transactions increase. All too often, the finance department is slow. I shouldn't say slow to respond, but, you know, naturally, we always think in finance that we can handle the volume as it comes through, but it starts to become more and more difficult. And just keeping up, it becomes the mantra of what the finance department is attempting to do. Uh, albeit, yes, you have to do budgets and projections, but but sales growth tends to to solve all problems, notwithstanding that finance is continuing to catch up, catch up, catch up. But then you have a leveling, and all of a sudden now finance has a little bit of a breather, and we can get into the numbers. We can get into more insightful financial reporting. We can provide more guidance. But I'll tell you, in a rapidly growing business, it's it's uh, the mantra of finance is just. Make sure you collect all the receivables. Make sure you pay the bills. Make sure you close the month end. Uh, and do keep up with us because we're moving qu pretty quickly. Well, you must have been a busy guy like for that time. must have been hectic. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was for the entire team. And, you know, you're trying to squeeze in what I call business improvement uh, initiatives, things that you can contribute over and above the day-to-day. And over and above the crisis, and sometimes it's hard to get those activities into it that you know would benefit the company. Yep. And eventually, we did. I mean, we moved accounts payable from a paper base to basically an electronic system uh, using PDF files and approval process. It really en enhanced the AR from uh, more of an automatic uh, collection and deposit process as well. So. There were some improvements, but boy, they were hard during a rapid growth. But once we had a little bit of stability, we were able to put that in. And now you can see the foundation of an improved process going forward. Wow. Well, but one, thing, one thing I want to talk about, too, before we head out, is there's a trend now um, that is the growing price, is the growing cost of commodities. And that affects ingredients. And, you know, and I, I want to just talk about that. What are your insights? What does what does a, 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 a company in the natural food space that's growing? Uh, they're an emerging company. They've been around for a while, and now they're hit. But now they're hit with this. They're hit with this. They spend so much time laying all these relationships with all these retailers. What now? How do they? How do they cope? Uh, what's your? What are your insights on that? A good good question, Bruce. I think one of the things that we established through this difficult pandemic is to rewrite some of the uh, vendor agreements, both for co-packing, for um, 
um, uh, the uh, packaging and that type of thing, the materials that go into it. Couldn't quite do it for transport, uh, given the nature of it. But essentially, what we did is is build in a lead time for any cost increases. In several cases, we were able to get a quarterly notification. In some cases, monthly notification. Um, but what that provides is, with that advanced notification, even in an inflationary environment, you can you can start to better understand what's going to come at you. Clearly, um, the inventory you have is based on old costs, and you can continue to sell it to customers and maintain margin, but those additional costs will now start to creep into your product costs, and you need to establish um, what the impact is and then how you're going to react to that. And so I think this is where finance has to take a lead uh, and, and make sure that, A, notifications for price increases come through, then, B, do the analytics to see the impact, and then work with the sales department to determine how best to deal with it. If a customer is reasonably profitable, um, uh, you know, you might absorb some of it. But fundamentally, we would go back to customers and discuss the various components and what's increasing and what we need to have from a cost point of view. Albeit it's going to increase the retail at the other end because the retailers want to maintain margin. I understand that one. But by the same token, the competitive environment should all see the same increases. And uh, we would expect that our customers would be partners with us in establishing, you know, and allowing us to increase costs and allowing retails to increase. Again, the more, the more, and more of the story, I think, is, again, it's knowing not just your sales. It's knowing, it's, again, it's knowing your costs because going in blind and you don't have accurate costing, then... Ultimately, a bad decision can be made. You could make a deal with a large retailer and not be as profitable as you think you are, or maybe even losing money. Yeah, because it's well, that's very good. Actually, uh, to add a little bit to my indication of advance notice, a lot of retailers require ourselves as uh, as a startup in the natural foods business lead time for their cost increases as well. So uh, it's important to keep your finger on the pulse of this. Uh, the, the buyers know firsthand what the increases are coming through. That needs to feed through for finance. So well in advance, uh, the numbers can come through and then we can start to talk to our customers uh, about the impact. And, you know, I find that if customers see the detail, they understand the impact and uh, providing a sort of honest and forthright explanation usually will lead to... Um, uh, a flexibility in allowing cost increases okay. to flow through. All right. Eugene, this has been very insightful. Uh, I'm going to keep this 15 minutes. You know, I think people are, as we said before, people are, you know, it's good to keep it short. It's good to keep it short. And I really thank you. Those were great insights and uh, a pleasure, really absolute pleasure. And on behalf of the audience and myself, thank you for doing this and taking the time. Okay. Well, you're most welcome. I enjoyed the conversation, Bruce, and I uh, wish everybody well as we emerge from uh, the pandemic and its restrictions. Thank you so much. Great day. Be well. Bye-bye.